Aloha. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Memory loss. One in eight people over the age of 65 is diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And for those over 85, it's actually about half of the people, and about two-thirds of those are women. So, you know, what does this mean for people who start to exhibit signs and symptoms of memory loss and also for their loved ones? Well, today we are lucky enough to have Rachel Wonderland. She is a dementia consultant and has a master's in gerontology. And she is coming all the way from the East Coast to do a lecture that is going to be helping out those who want to know, based on the book that she wrote, when someone you know is living in a dementia care community, how do you know what's the right time when they should be put in those facilities and what are the best things to do to help them while they are dealing with this diagnosis? So I want to thank you for joining me today on The Body Show. Thanks for having me. Now, memory loss scares me. I mean, okay, so I'll admit it. I'm in my mid-40s. I wish I wasn't, but that's reality. And, you know, every once in a while you forget where you put stuff, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to be one of those women with dementia someday. So what are some of the early symptoms of people who truly progress to dementia versus just, oh, where did I put my car keys? I was just distracted. What's the difference between my freak out over oh, no, I'm going to have dementia, and actual reality. Right. So I get that question a lot. Um, I've found that it's usually, yeah, it has something to do with knowing there is an issue. So there's there's kind of a, a lot of people who are concerned that there's an issue um, don't actually <laughs> end up getting dementia. <laughs> if you know enough to know you're concerned, yeah. you know enough. It's also kind of a form uh, versus function situation. So the best example I have is this. I work with a home care agency in Pittsburgh, I went to go see one of their clients to see like where she was at with her cognitive loss. And they told me that she has some dementia. Uh, I got there, talked with her, wasn't seeing too much. And she said in the middle of our conversation, oh, I, can I make a phone call? I said, sure. So she reaches over and she picks up her television remote. And she starts actually dialing a phone number into the TV remote. And I wait just to kind of see if she's going to realize this is a TV remote. And she holds it up to her ear and she looks confused. And I said, well, actually it's this. And I handed her her phone and she said, oh yeah, I must, I must just be tired. And I was like, there it is. That's the example. Um, knowing where your car keys are, losing your car keys, everybody does that. Um, I'm 29 years old. Sometimes I walk into the kitchen and go, why did I come in this kitchen? You know, <laughs> everybody does that. Um, forgetting where your kitchen is, that's kind of another problem. I would also say if you're constantly experiencing issues where, um, you know, you used to be great at navigating and all of a sudden you're like, hmm, I'm not so good at this anymore. Maybe you missed a few doctor's appointments. You missed a few events. That could be a cause for concern. So be concerned if it becomes a pattern, you know, or if it becomes something where you don't even easily recognize that you're doing something wrong. Like you mentioned, trying to dial with the TV remote and going, oh, this is my phone. Oh, okay. I must just be excusing it, you know, sort of giving yourself some rationale for why you could have made that mistake. So 
in that situation, when or what average age do you think most people are starting to exhibit some of the symptoms of concern? Because what I see in my world is I'll see people who kind of get it together. They come in for their medical appointments. They look fine. Mm -hmm. They look showered. They Mm -hmm. look well-dressed. And most of the questions I ask them, how do you feel today? How are you doing? Do you have any pain? Are very present kind of questions. Mm -hmm. So if I were to ask them, something like, you know, what's the date, they would be stunned and not know. But that may not be part of my evaluation for that particular Mm -hmm. condition. So I think I see it when people have already had it for a while. So what are some of the ways or what age groups do people start to exhibit symptoms? And how could loved ones even sort of do their own little secret tests to figure it out? I'd say the age range is all over the place. I actually work with a group of people in Pittsburgh. It's called the BRITE program, B-R-I-T-E. And it's for people with mild cognitive impairment. So MCI is not dementia. Sometimes it becomes dementia. um, And sometimes people just kind of stay at a certain baseline. These are people ranging in age from, I'd say, like mid-late 50s all the way. We have a lady who's 90 in the program. These are people who can take care of themselves and get around, do everything throughout the day. They just have a little bit more trouble and they're aware of their impairment. We're trying to do interventions to see if we can help them. Um, So the age range is all over the place. I've met people with early onset, you know, before the age of 65 who start exhibiting signs of something like Alzheimer's at you know, 56, which is horrible. Uh, And then I meet people who really don't have any issues until their late 80s. For family members, I think they need to be aware and kind of watching for it. I'm hyper vigilant with dementia, uh, just because it's what I do. But what I see often is families kind of, like you said, they kind of have the blinders on. So even people coming in uh, to your office, you're talking to them, and you're realizing, wow, this person's probably had issues for a while. Um, I notice a lot that families kind of put the blinders on, even if they're seeing something that is like, hmm, mom sure has gotten things mixed up recently. Sometimes I'm talking to her and she's kind of mixing up words or she can't find the right thing to fill in the sentence. Or she, you know, always sent Christmas cards out. And this year, she just seemed to have forgotten about it. But families kind of put that away and they go, well, it's because of X, Y, and Z. And so sometimes the problem kind of escalates, I think, when uh, past the point where they could have said, hey, maybe this is an issue. So in that sort of, you know, I, I sort of figure I had this one individual who came in, this very nice woman. And again, she always seemed fine with me. Mm-hmm. Then one time her daughter came in and said, Mom gave away thousands of dollars to this nice guy who called her from Nigeria mm-hmm. every day for the last, like, six weeks. And she didn't even know anything about it because she was working. She was busy. She sees mom once a month, then sees her and realizes there's no money in mom's account. What's going on? So in that case, it was sort of this this enlightenment moment where she goes, you know, she's had all mm-hmm. these symptoms for a while. And I think a lot of times families either cover or they don't want to believe it or they may be in denial. And so it's also... It's a shocking sort of thing for family members, particularly children, to say mom or dad are having these symptoms. But then it's also that issue with, oh, no, am I going to have this? So I think there's this sort of realization that it could be affecting the family members and they're worried. What if I get like this when Mm -hmm. I get older? Or they might have other family members who might have exhibited the same behavior, their grandmother or their aunties and uncles. And they, oh, that's just what they do when they get older. So Mm -hmm. there's certainly those thoughts of potentially just 
denying it or just not wanting to see it or just not realizing. So at the point where somebody expresses concerns, whether it be a family member or someone themselves or a physician or somebody says, hey, this individual has a problem. What are some of the things that people need to watch out for? Because in a lot of cases, these are folks who might be living alone and who might be managing well enough. Mm -hmm. What are some of the early interventions that can take place? Uh, I think one thing people need to absolutely watch out for, and you kind of touched on this, was getting like scammed. And unfortunately, older people, and particularly people with maybe early signs of cognitive loss, are at a huge disadvantage in terms of getting scammed because they don't have too much of a filter in terms of judgment. And that's one of the first things you notice about somebody with dementia is their judgments impaired. Um, And I was talking about this today, this idea that if I go to see somebody at their house and I know they might have some dementia, my first sign that, oh, okay, yep, there's a problem here, is that if I knock on their door, They invite me in and they don't ask me who I am. And it's really interesting when I meet people with dementia, even people who look fine, can hold a conversation. And that's another thing. A lot of people are able to kind of fool um, relatives who live out of town or maybe even a physician who's not looking for it because they can have a full conversation about how great their day is um, without a family member there who says, hey, mom just gave thousands of dollars away to, you know, some sort of scam to kind of like go, ooh, we need to look at the actual facts here. Um, So kind of digging past the surface of, hey, mom, how's everything going? You know, I can see how that would be easy with relatives. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, of course she invited us in because she remembers who we are and may not actually have any idea. All right. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're listening to The Body Show. I'm here with Rachel Wonderland, and she is a dementia consultant. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little more about what are the signs that maybe mom or dad can't live independently by themselves anymore? Are there things that family members can see in the environment that can help clue them into some troubles? We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to the St. Andrews Schools, which includes the Priory School for Girls, the Prep for Boys, and Queen Emma Preschool. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak here with dementia consultant Rachel Wonderland, and she is the author of a book published through John Hopkins University Press, When Someone You Know is Living in a Dementia Care Community. And today we're talking a little bit about the diagnosis of dementia and what that does to family members, but also what are some of the early identifiable signs. So right before the break, we talked about someone who you go to visit them in their home, and they actually just let you in. They don't know who you are, and yet they might offer you some some snacks, which is great, but it kind of makes you think, huh. So when you walk into someone's home, what else do you look for? Are there clues in their environment or how they're living that could be a sign of trouble? Yeah, a lot of clutter. I see clutter often. Also, odd things are saved. One of the first signs that somebody could be experiencing some cognitive loss, uh, like hoarding behavior, even minimal, just like a lot of old magazines for no reason on the table, or a lot of papers that they swear they're going to look through one day. Um, Odd stuff like that. You'll also notice if the family uh, is kind of filling in gaps for somebody. So sometimes I'll go into someone's house and there will be labels on stuff. 
like oh here mom here's where the spoons are but if you talk to the family about this sometimes they'll just say oh well you know she's getting a little bit older we just want to make sure you know she can find stuff um and i see this with spouses too so a lot of spouses will kind of cover for the other one and a lot of times by the time the family gets into a place where they say "Ooh, i need to move dad into assisted living it's usually because mom has died and mom has died and all of a sudden the family goes whoa dad's dementia is terrible and it's like dad's dementia has been kind of bad for the last three years but mom's been doing 110 percent of the work she's been filling his in his sentences she's been doing his laundry she's been you know, picking up around the house a little bit more. And so when the family, especially if they live out of state, they go, oh, well, I talked to uh, dad on the phone. He seems fine. It's because mom's in the background, you know, doing, doing everything, doing everything. And then sometimes, you know, particularly with people now, they may have grown up at a time when women did do a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of folks may not even, some of the men may not even know how to do their laundry. I mean, and I say this, purely respectfully, but my own father's one of them. He didn't know how to use a washing machine mm -hmm. until my mother couldn't do it for him anymore. And he had to learn. And he's a smart guy. But yeah. it was just because it was never something he did. So I've had family members of people who were in their 80s or 90s come in and say, Dad never did his laundry his whole life. He doesn't know how to use that machine. How are we going to teach him now? So there is that compensatory factor that I see. And some of it may just be gender roles when they grew up, mm -hmm. when they did. In that type of scenario, do you ever see any personal hygiene issues that also were red flags because I'll see folks and the only sign that I may notice is they haven't taken a shower in a while or they don't realize that their hair is smelling or greasy or some kind of personal hygiene lack which is I think why maybe that was something where I've had a couple of times when I start asking people this mini mental state exam and go boy they don't know anything and mm -hmm. it was because they'd come in looking clean looking well taken care of full-on makeup for some of the women and I'd go oh well if they know how to put on eyeliner they must be okay and yet reality is that they could still be experiencing a lot of troubles I'm just being fooled by appearance mm -hmm. so then I see people who come in and they just you know you know something's up or would would that be a question or a sign when personal hygiene starts to go by the wayside yeah absolutely I, I you can tell a lot by someone's hair especially if it's a woman you know if you can see that um, it's a little bit unkempt maybe it's a little bit greasy not brushed obviously if it's standing issue, straight up yeah, there's a problem there's an issue or okay. even like um, if something's not buttoned 100 percent or you know I like to talk to people if somebody if I'm thinking maybe somebody has an issue I like to speak with them when a family member is present because I can kind of look to that person to see about facts and I also like to see how often the person with a probable dementia looks to their loved one to get an answer. So with spouses, you see this all the time. A good kind of test to do, you can do it very easily and, and quietly, is to get especially spouses in a room together. And if you think mom has dementia, ask her a very simple question like, oh, you know, how long have you lived in the house? Look at her face and see if she turns to her husband. And people do this all the time. They'll go, oh, um, hmm, that's a good question. Honey, what do you think? Hmm. And a lot of times I tell the spouse ahead of time, I'll kind of go, I may give you a signal to not answer. And I just, I, I did this 
recently I, I did this with a husband and wife and the husband's over here and I kept kind of like hand signaling him quietly just stop don't answer this question and he did a pretty good job he would say well uh, what do you think honey and she couldn't it became very clear she could not answer a darn thing without looking to him to figure out what the answer was she had no clue really even I asked how many kids they had and, and she could not answer something that you should really know. Oh yeah, that it's it just becomes obvious that there's trouble when you detect those scenarios. If one spouse is doing really well and the other spouse is not, but they appear to be compensating and taking care of one another, <laughs> would they be people who could continue to live independently if everything was going okay? Usually not, um, especially because they end up being older, and it makes me very nervous when I see. A couple who's like 85, especially if um, the husband has dementia, because inevitably or almost inevitably, he's going to be bigger and stronger than uh, if it's his wife. Um, and if you have an 85-year-old woman who's helping her husband in and out of the tub and, you know, all this stuff, I'm really worried, you know, about not just the cognitive issue, but the physical issue. And even if two people are physically intact. The cognitive piece is still an issue because um, it becomes a lot for one caregiver to handle the emotional challenges of working with a loved one, you know, uh, and it, it'll wear you down, you know, it wears down that caregiver. So I always recommend, look, you know, bring in a home care agency or, you know, start thinking about moving them to a community care setting. Yeah, start thinking about it. You can start with home care. So if mm -hmm. mom and dad say, I'm never leaving this house forever, start with bringing other people in. And then start to have that discussion maybe going to a place that offers care. Now, for some places, you know, you can bring in a home care agency. You can settle everything down for a while. If people continue to progress in their diagnosis, they may eventually have to be placed. Mm -hmm. What sort of facilities? If you have a couple, are they, and one has dementia and one does not, is it safe for them to go to a standard assisted living? Or does one who has memory have to go into like a memory care unit? Because that's a whole mm -hmm. different aspect of we're going to a care home, but only one of us is going to be there. I mean, it, it sort of, it, it really adds some more dimensions of difficulty. Mm -hmm. I've seen various uh, different ways of doing this. I've had most of my, well, really all my experience is working on a dementia care floor or a dementia care building, part of a licensed assisted living. Um, and I've had residents, like a husband and wife duo, who he doesn't have dementia, but she does. So she and he both live in the dementia care side, but he walks over to assisted living every day and hangs out over there. I've also seen it where two people live in assisted living and then you know she needs a little bit more help or, or whatever um i actually kind of prefer if the person with dementia moves into a dementia care community you know a lot of families kind of rely on this layered situation so they're like okay we're gonna do home care and then when that doesn't work anymore we're gonna move them both to assisted living okay and then when that doesn't work we're, and it's like whoa you know like it almost makes it harder because um, there's a lot of transitions. So in order to minimize the transitions, I'm very pro moving somebody to dementia care. And sometimes moving them with a spouse is almost worse <laughs> because a lot of times there's like, you know, there's years of a relationship there. Um, 
and it's it's really it's really tough to kind of rely on each other in a way that maybe isn't so beneficial for the person with dementia to really get involved at the care community the way they should and like get settled well that's a whole new world that I wouldn't have thought of is that you really you focus on the person who has dementia and put them in their own location. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, learning as I do every week. And I'm here with Rachel Wonderland. She is a dementia consultant. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about what are some of the things that she's seen in her experience and years doing the work that she has, and what are some things that all of us could learn from this experience and can help plan for our own future. We'll be right back. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors PCAT, Pacific Center for Advanced Technology Training, Moyer Financial, and Kaiser Permanente. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. And I'm talking today to Rachel Wonderland. She's the author of When Someone You Know is Living in a Dementia Care Community. And right now we're talking about if you're going to place loved ones, you place the person with dementia into a dementia unit, preferably rather than assisted living and then transferring. That's an interesting concept. And the reason you mentioned that is because you said fewer transitions for the person who has the memory loss. But in that case, you're going from living with spouse to living without spouse. Mm -hmm. How is that more helpful for the person who has dementia? I think it's better for them to settle into an environment where they can be with people of their cognitive level. Um, I think it's easier when I've had the spouse interaction, a lot of times the person without dementia is very uh, is very protective of the person with dementia. And so they spend a lot of time going, oh, honey, come over here. Honey, stay in the room. Honey, stay with me. When it would actually be better if the person with dementia could be around other people with dementia. Why? I think when people are at the same cognitive level, they're more accepting of each other. Um and then also the activities and everything that's happening at the care community can be uh, directed and functional at their level. Um, I see a lot of people with dementia struggle to kind of like keep up appearances when they're with people who don't have dementia. So like if you bring somebody with dementia to, I always tell people like I have a policy, hard and fast rule called no weddings, no funerals, meaning don't take anybody with dementia to a wedding or a funeral. They get overwhelmed very quickly. They're in a group of people. There's a lot going on. And you'll watch somebody with dementia try to attune, like try to be in with a large conversation. And they struggle because they're looking around, you know, to different people. And, and they're working, their brain's working so hard to try to make them function at a level that they can't really function anymore. So then the idea would be don't bring them to events that could cause them stress. Could they potentially participate in a different way? So there's a big wedding, and maybe they don't go to the big wedding, but maybe they spend some time with a couple who's getting married sort of on a one-on-one basis. Do you see that people who have dementia do better in smaller settings? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you have somebody, even if you have somebody who's like a super huge extrovert like myself, um, they get overwhelmed fairly quickly. So a great example is uh, we're at one community where um, we had a group of kids come in and they came to sing like Christmas carols. And it was 
wonderful. And the residents, I mean, a lot of them were crying because they were so happy. I mean, it was really beautiful. And uh, all the kids left eventually. And I remember a lot of my residents were just in complete breakdown mode. They were so overstimulated that even though they'd had a wonderful day, they they were just beside themselves. They're crying. They're anxious. They're irritable. And it's because there'd been so much happening that they, they, they just kind of snapped. And they can't handle that barrage yeah. of different mm-hmm. things that go on, particularly around the holidays. When you have somebody who has dementia who might not recognize that people come to visit them, Mm -hmm. studies have shown that there is still a value in seeing your loved one, Mm -hmm. that even if they can't articulate and remember who you are, there is some sense of love and comfort that they get from, from having someone who cares about them still come and visit. Is that something that you see in the real world that you, you witness that even though you know, the husband and wife may not live in the same location. She's in the dementia unit. He may be in assisted living, or even he may be still living in the house independently. Do you see that there's still that beneficial value in the continued interaction with family members? Yeah, and I always I always tell people, uh, one, the movie The Notebook is a terrible depiction of Alzheimer's disease, in that it shows a woman who kind of doesn't recognize her husband all of a sudden and is terrified. I call this idea like timeline confusion. So even if uh, you're loved one with dementia, um, you say like, oh, you know, they don't know who I am anymore. It's not that they don't know you. It's that they can't place you on a timeline. So I see this pretty frequently. Somebody with dementia, um, I had a lady who was like 85 and her son would come in to visit all the time. Now, her son's like 60 years old. But when he walks through the door, she's looking at him. She recognizes him. She knows him, but she can't place him because she thinks she's 60. So Mm. when he comes in the door, a lot of times she would say, oh, hey, everyone, this is my husband. But it makes total sense because she's thinking, yeah, Yeah. right, because her reality is that she's 60. So who's this who's this old guy? You know, because like, well, this guy's not my son. My son's my son's a, a young man. So it's not that that person doesn't know you. And I think it's comforting to families to hear this. You know, it's that they can't place you. You know, your age doesn't make sense to them. So would it be helpful for the son to say, hi, mom, I'm your son, Brian, and I'm this age, however old I am, and you're however old, you know, mom might be, just to sort of reorient her? No. Doesn't help. No. Um, It sounds like it makes things worse. Yeah, definitely makes things worse. I, sorry, never, ever reorient anybody with dementia. Um, I use this phrase called embracing someone's reality. So if you walk in that day and you say, hey, how are you doing? Um, I would never, if if somebody's confused, like if mom doesn't know that she can't quite place me, I'm not going to walk in and say, hi, mom. I'm going to walk in and call her by her first name, if that's how she likes to be called. Um, And I'm going to go from there. I'm going to use context clues and figure out who I am that day. I had a resident who uh, called me Susan. She called me Susan every day. I had a name tag on. She didn't read it. She didn't, you know. But she would call down the hall, say, hey, Susan. And I would turn around. I'd say, oh, hey, Linda. And our relationship was different every day. Sometimes I was her boss. Sometimes I was her student. Sometimes I was her colleague, you know, depending on the day. But I was always someone important to her. So we want to go with the that level and go like, you know, I'm important to this person. It doesn't necessarily matter how I'm important to them. But 
that's okay. I'm going to do that. So meet them at their level. Yes, exactly. And then question from them who you are in that particular situation. Yeah, you kind of, I think you can, I call it being like a dementia detective, you know, using the context clues and going like, all right, where are we at today? Um, even a great example, I spoke to a woman who had birthday cards all over her mantle. And I said, oh, how old are you going to be? Just because I was kind of curious where she was at. And uh, she thought about it. This woman's like 95. And she thought, hmm, 42. And I said, okay. Now, a lot of people will want to make people with dementia do math. Don't make anybody with dementia do any math. You know, go, well, it's 2018. And so therefore, blah, blah. It's like, she thinks she's 42. That's great. Going to go with 42. Yeah. All right. Boy, I have certainly learned a lot through our discussion today. And uh, I am certain that a lot of folks could learn a lot. Again, the book that you wrote was When Someone You Know Is Living in a Dementia Care Community. And people can find it by going to your website or even on Amazon. And you can go to rachelwonderland.com. We'll also post that on our Facebook page. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. And you can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. We'll see you next week. We're going to have part two of our dementia conversation. We'll see you then.